This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 17th, 2022 edition, and volatility hit us once again, but this time to the upside. I always say that volatility comes in both directions, and this is a time where a lot of people are confused. A lot of people are very pessimistic about what's happening in the economy and their portfolio. And my job here is to help give you give you the middle uh, road, I guess you would call it. Right there are uh, most people want to be one side or the other. They're very bullish or they're very bearish. Their emotions tend to take over. Uh, but when you apply rationale to your investment process and your decision-making process, uh, you often come out somewhere in the middle. And that's what I'm here to help you with. And I do that by answering your finance and investment questions. As always, the number is the same. It's 888-99-CHART, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can call and ask your question. Or if you're listening live during our four to five Pacific time hour, you can call and talk to me right now. So I've got a packed podcast for you today. My focus point concerns the story behind, is the U.S. consumer healthy? Now, inflation is on everyone's mind, but there's been bank earnings over the the past couple days, and banks have probably the best insight into what's happening in the economy. Not the talking heads on TV, probably not even me, right? It's those that are looking at what businesses and consumers are actually doing. Nobody has a better sense of that than big, large commercial banks that have customers across the economy, different sectors, different income brackets, etc. So we're going to look at what they're saying. Also, CapEx, I've talked about this, that it's an underappreciated part of our economy right now is onshoring and manufacturing, bringing back a lot of exported jobs uh, that we've had over the past 20 or 30 years. And there are various factors that go into that, but it means that there's activity in the economy. That's how companies make money. That's how the business or how the economy grows is Businesses do business with other businesses or consumers. And most people are familiar with B2C. But in the market, we focus more on B2B or yeah, B2B type of business. That's where most of the economy comes from. It's one of some of the best businesses that are focused on more B2B business. That's uh, where they operate. So we're going to look at some of that data. Also, small cap companies are outperforming so far this year. And this could be the first time since 2016. So we're going to look at that. 
data. And then lastly, we're going to touch a bit on rising rates and bank profits and how that might feed into uh, bank, bank profits. So that's what I have on the docket for me. But ultimately, it's what is on your mind. Okay. And we have voice bank input to play as well. One is on the Vanguard short-term inflation protected index fund, as well as Rio Tinto, R-I-O. So I got this all planned out for this hour. And I'm taking your live calls as well at 888-99 chart. Now, we have the S&P up about 95 points today. Very strong rally that actually kept it, got us above Friday's close, not Friday's, Thursday's close, right? We had that huge reversal on Thursday. You had a pullback on Friday. Uh, it was actually the 618 retrace from that whole move. Right? If you're looking at uh, technicals and Fibonacci and stuff, uh, and you got a nice bounce uh, today. So you got a bit of a follow through from Thursday, very minor, but uh, it was above the close from Thursday. So that's good. Not above the 20 day moving average on the S&P, but that is something I'm going to continue to watch to see if we close above that. Now on the small cap index, we did close above uh, the 20 day moving average, which it hasn't done since, what is that, August? Yeah, late August. And that would be uh, the first indicator that we are headed for a rally. Now, is it the June to August bear market rally? Maybe. Is it the ultimate bottom? Maybe a lot depends on what happens with liquidity and you're getting out of the fed, the first sign of a pivot. And that sign is that they are recognizing the lack of liquidity in the treasury market. And that's their, the number one boogeyman for the fed because their ultimate job is not to create maximum employment not to create stable prices, although that's what they'll tell you, and that's what's their mandate. Their ultimate job is to keep the treasury solvent, right? The government solvent. And so if they have to do more QE or less QT uh, in order to do that, they're going to do that. And they've already started to talk about uh, what is it's similar to Operation Twist. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, back in 2000, what was that, 14 timeframe, somewhere around there. And basically, they're talking about selling short-term treasuries and buying long-term treasuries. Why? Because they want to get those longer-term rates down. They don't want your mortgage above 7%. Maybe that's too high for them. But either way, they're seeing illiquidity in that longer-term treasury market, and they don't want rates to really jump in a big way. And so this is the first sign that they are paying attention and they're planning to improve liquidity at the margins. Now, it's not a major pivot. It's very minor. But it's something that shows you that that is a lot closer to capitulating to the uh, the dovish side than they like to let on. Because they're certainly uh, keeping an eye on that treasury market and doing something about it. So I think that's the market today trying to start to price that minor pivot in. Now, let's get our first listener question now. Hi, guys. Love the show and wanted to get your perspective on electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, essentially flying taxis. The FAA seems to be making some more efforts for ease of certification. We just saw some investment from Delta into Joby, one of the primary companies. 
And I'm curious as to whether or not you think it's a good time to start picking up any of these stocks. And if so, if you have any particular companies that you think are leading the pack. Thank you. All right, this is Joby or Joby, I don't know how to say it, but J-O-B-Y, Aviation, Inc. And they develop an all-electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, operate as air taxi service. As you would imagine, with something so, I guess you call exciting, uh, but innovative, say that, they're losing money because there's whole not, you're not seeing a whole lot of those. Uh, and this is entire... This is entirely a story stock, which means that they're in development, they're trying to get it passed, but with these with these things, it usually takes longer than most people expect. And until there's some sort of business, which I don't expect for many years, they're going to just burn capital in an environment where capital is now, it actually costs something versus you know being free. Uh, 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 you know, mo mostly over the last uh, decade plus since the financial crisis, these are the type of companies that are not going to do very well. Now, could we see a counter trend rally if there is a minor Fed pivot? Yeah, absolutely. So as a trade, and it, you see it today, this is up 10% uh, today, over 10% today. So in an environment like that, you could easily see a counter trend rally. You want to play that? Sure. Now play that rally, sure. But you need to have a tight stop and know that this isn't a long-term play. It's not a business I would own. Uh, and then your last part about, do you have any recommendations? I think I made, uh, I think I talked about it a bit last week, which is we can't do that. We actually can't give out recommendations. I know it sounds weird, but this is these are SEC rules. I can't say I like this company, I like that company, just off whim. Uh, but if you call and ask about that question, like Joby or Joby, you, I'll give you my opinion and that's how it works. So thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break. I forget to mention that I have a new perspective report for today's podcast. The perspective looks at the so-called September effects on stock markets going back to 1920. But for now, I welcome your finance and investment questions. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. 
Hello, my name is Harvey. I'm calling from Central Mass. I do appreciate your show. I listen to it fairly often. My question has to do with V-tips. You had talked about those on Friday with somebody, and you were discussing, you know, when it when it goes up and when we should probably sell to go down. My question is, I've had that uh, stock for quite a while, at least more than nine months, and it hasn't moved too much at all. I understand that it's still better than the S&P, but my question is about the month of September. Why would the stock VTIP go down around 5% if interest rates are rising? As you mentioned, you thought it was going to at least be pretty strong stock for a while. Thanks very much. Uh, I don't remember saying it'd be a very strong stock. I, I, I've said before that inflation protected securities, that's what this is, uh, this is VTIP, so the short-term, the Vanguard short-term inflation-protected security ETF. And what I said was that TIPS have many different durations, some more short-term, some are long-term. Obviously, this one is focused more on the short-term. And but short-term doesn't necessarily mean that it's completely without any duration risk. The effective duration is still two and a half years on this, uh, which is not ultra short-term, right? It's not next three months or something like that. Uh, so there is some duration risk there. Uh, and then remember, tips also move with inflation expectations, what are called break-even rates. I know these are complex, but basically in simple terms is there's always some level of inflation expectations built into the current price of uh, tips. And what happens is if future inflation expectations go down, then the tips will go down as well because there's less expectation of, of higher payouts, higher, uh, yeah, higher payouts in the future. And so that's why I say even in an inflationary environment like we had this year, even the short term tips are going down because at the beginning of the year, inflation expectations were much higher. And as you know, the economy's gotten weaker, as uh, stock market's gone down, future expectations for inflation has has receded. And so that's what you've seen, especially uh, over the past month with these is why it's gone down from 50 to 47 and change, uh, which isn't a huge move, but it's actually a pretty big move for the tips market uh, is that shift in lower inflation ex expectations going forward. And this is why I don't love tips. I, I don't think they're a great investment vehicle because most people don't understand how these things work. And they think they're relatively low risk. And from a default level, they're low risk. But changes in inflation expectations, changes in interest rates can still move them dramatically. And you need to know, know that risk. So they're not, I don't think they're ideal hedges against inflation. So that's why I would sell it and just, and just move on. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love taking live calls as well. Our number never changes and it never closes. So Invest Talk is here for you at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. 
Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Is the U.S. consumer healthy? And as we know, the consumer is a large part of the economy. And banks, they have great insight because that's where people keep their money. That's where people people have their debts. So they can see all the inflows and outflows and whether or not the they're about to stop spending in real time. And this is from Bank of America. They had their third quarter earnings report, which uh, beat expectations today. And what they said was that consumers are financially resilient. And despite the high inflation uh, and concerns of a, a near term recession, consumers are still spending and they have they have money. According to Bank of America, credit cards and other payment methods uh, grew 10% year over year in September and the first half of October. So this isn't just, just the third quarter. Uh, the September, which a lot of people said the economy was uh, slowing more dramatically in September, according to B, B of A, not, not, not dramatically. I mean, some, but not dramatically. Now, part of that is inflation, but number of transactions rose 6%. And total volume, like I said, uh, dollar amount grew 10% year over year. Now, consumer bank accounts remain well above their early 2020 levels, pre-pandemic levels. And what's interesting is that, that they said was that remains even more true for the people with the smallest balances. So people with the smallest balances have five times more money than they did before the pandemic. So it just shows you that while maybe the equity markets are hurting, the average person, low to middle income uh, consumer, still has a, a healthy amount in their bank account to make sure they're paying their debts and just spend money in the economy. Now, late payment metrics are up off of their very, very low levels during the pandemic, but they're still well below their pre-2020 averages. And late stage delinquencies are still 40% below pre-pandemic levels. Meaning if people are falling behind, it's in the very early stage of that happening. Uh, so that was some interesting tidbits from the Bank of America earnings call, which once again was better than expected and shows that the consumer while weakening is still relatively healthy. Now let's fit in an iTunes review question. JGY191 says, I've been listening to this podcast for a little over three years now. I'm looking at a company called Ring Central, ticker symbol RNG. It has made big swings up and down since the pandemic, but is now over 80% off its highs. My thought process is maybe it could be a potential buyout target for a larger company. In the space such as Microsoft Teams or Cisco WebEx, what are your thoughts on the company with or without a potential buyout? Now, I would never buy a company because I think another, because it's cheap and I think another company would buy it out. That's typically not how M&A works. You don't see big, uh, you know, boardrooms talking about, hey, what company can we buy at a bargain basement price? 
the reason they buy companies is typically strategic. They're trying to gain access to a particular technology, a particular customer base. Uh, they are trying to head off some level of competition that they are worried could threaten their business. Uh, Adobe did that recently with a big expensive acquisition of a, a competitor to, I believe it was one of, one of their softwares. I forget one of their uh, photo editing softwares. Um, so that's how, that's how corporate boards work. And so just because ring central's down 80%, Microsoft isn't sitting there saying, Oh, rings down 80%. It looks cheap. We should buy it. So don't think of it that way. Now is ring central cheap. Now, if you look at earnings, it does look at least reasonable, but then I go to the deeper metrics and that's what makes me kind of hesitate here. Cash from operations is now 200 million, which is much better than it had been in the recent past. Um, but it's only 200 million and it's a $3.2 billion market cap. That doesn't include, you know, it's cash from investing and financing, et cetera. Uh, I, I'm just not loving kind of the internal metrics here. And they just continue to increase their shares outstanding. And while the, it does look like it is trying to find some footing here, I just don't think it's cheap enough. It's still trading well below all the moving averages. It's got a little bit of bounce, but nothing that's convincing me this is the low. Um, so I'm going to pass on Ring Central. Now, the next and best stock story behind this question reports indicate an earnings contraction, but not a widespread collapse. 35 companies have reported third quarter earnings so far, and 68.5 have beaten estimates higher than the historical average of about 66%. We'll get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses 
for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Drew in Colorado. I'd love to hear any thoughts and insight you have on the company Rio Tinto Group. That's ticker symbol R-I-O. They're a mining company. They produce aluminum, copper, uh, diamond, gold, iron ore, lithium, and more. So any insight you have on the company would be greatly appreciated. Specifically, if you could talk a little bit about the dividend. You guys do a great job talking about the history of the dividend, if it's been consistent, and then based on the financials, if it's likely to continue in the future. Uh, appreciate your thoughts on that. And of course, thank you very much for the show, producing a show five days a week. I imagine that's a lot of work. So thank you very much for that. As a longtime listener, you give me the confidence to keep investing and uh, keep my head up in this turbulent time we're going through here with the current market. So thank you very much. I'll listen uh, for the next show. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words and glad you're getting a lot out of it. Now looking at Rio Tinto, this is a globally diversified miner. It has exposure to iron ore, copper, aluminum, diamonds, gold, and industrial minerals. It's been around for a long, long time, but its main source of income comes from iron ore as well as copper. And uh, it's been on a downtrend as the strong dollar has uh, hit uh, multiple uh, multiple hard commodities like copper and iron ore. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, but Rio is trying to find a bottom here, it looks like to me. Um, now that dividend, it looks like it's a 12.4%. It's all over the place. So, you know, last 
quarter it was two dollars and sixty seven cents and then it was four dollars and sixteen cents uh the quarter before that actually it's semi-annually so it looks like march and august twice a year so if you look back it has paid nearly seven dollars per share in dividends but i don't expect that to continue it's typically all over the place so just going back to march of 2022 oh it looks like yeah august of 2022 they didn't pay a dividend at all okay so they paid one dividend in 2022 it was 62 cents pretty small compared to the $55 price now. It's a little over 1%. So don't think that this is, don't buy this for the dividend because that dividend is gonna jump around. Uh, sometimes it's gonna pay a special dividend. Uh, sometimes it's gonna pay a normal dividend. Uh, it just depends on their business prospects overall. And so, but I, I like it because I think it is relatively cheap, although earnings are expected to come down from $13 and change last year to about $9 this year and $7 next year. But I think ultimately commodity prices go up, the dollar uh, comes down as the Fed you know, is forced to uh, pivot a bit. Um, and I think it is near some good support and the technicals are starting to firm up. So I'm gonna give Rio Tinto a thumbs up. Now, my perspective today looks at the stock market September effect, and Wall Street just closed out a tough September, down 9.3%, the worst monthly decline since March of 2020. And as we experience market volatility, you might ask yourself, are certain months of the year often associated with poor stock market performance? The answer is yes, September is. The S&P 500 is down around 18% from the beginning of 2022, while the index has been down year to date through the end of August, the its average decline of 3.4% in September. So that 9.3 was much worse than the average decline of 3.4%. So for perspective, we can look at this pattern all the way back to 1920. The S&P, a benchmark uh, uh, index, has fallen a median, a median. So the, the middle number uh, is 0.42%. And is positive only 44.7% of the time since 1928 in the month of September. So the annual percentage change in, uh, let's see, I'm just looking at these, this data here. Um, hmm. Ah, from 1928. Okay. So from 1928, let's just give you um, some some data points here. The average closing price of the S&P in 1928, think of this, 19, spot 9.4. It opened the year at 17.76. Its high of the year was 24.35. The low of the year was 16.95. Think about that. That's a 33% move from low to high. And it closed the year right, right at the high, 24.35. And so it was up 37.8% for the year of, in 1928. Okay, and the, the next year, obviously, the market crashed. So, you know, this year has been a rough year. And the big question is, there are several theories of why September has this negative effect. One is investors get back in the full swing of things in September. And after the, the summertime, there's kind of a lull in volume, people are on vacation, etc. And it means people are thinking about adjusting their portfolios 
maybe trying to catch up going into year end. Another is that most uh, the most influential factor could be that most mutual funds end of fiscal year is at the end of uh, the month of September uh, and use September to dump losing positions. So it doesn't look as bad. That's one one theory. It also could be psychological stocks may be down in September because investors believe they will. And so they sell shares and drop the price. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm going to bet one of those things, it's going to be number two. Window dressing is a thing. Funds do it all the time. And that can cause short-term kind of moves uh, in markets. Right? Now, what can you do? What should you do? The answer is don't let market gyrations throw you off your, your strategy. Your strategy should be consistent. It should be focused on risk as well as reward, what your ultimate goals are. You know, can you achieve a goal with lower risk profile? Odds are you can't. That's what most people, I think, they don't focus enough on. They look at the sexy names and they look at investing as exciting and interesting. But at the end of the day, it's to help you reach your ultimate goals of financial freedom. And sometimes taking moderate or low risk can get you there. But you have to run those numbers. You have to know. And so I always advocate taking the lowest amount of risk to achieve your end goals. Now let's pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hi, this is Roger from Fremont. I have a question regarding Enbridge, stock symbol ENB. I have a long-term position and got in at $36. Currently, it looks like it's falling down from its high of 46. I was wondering if I should continue to hold it or sell it. It, it has a pretty good dividend, but I'm not sure. But with all the other energy uh, stocks doing well, this one seems to be not performing as well. So Thank you. All right. This is a very simple explanation. This is not a pure play energy name. This is hybrid. Now for everyone else, this is Enbridge. This is a Canadian company and they have one of the largest, actually Canada's largest natural gas distribution company and a regulated natural gas utility. That's its, that's a big part of the business. But it also has a lot of midstream assets, meaning it's taking the oil and natural gas from the wells and transporting it to the refining facilities. Okay, that's and they make money for, for doing that. Uh, and that typically is a very consistent, good business. And the reason this has been underperforming lately is because of that utility side. Utilities have been under pressure because of higher interest rates. Uh, a lot of them have been, been repricing lower to get that uh, to, to reprice to a higher yield. Um, and Enbridge is not immune to that. And so that's why, you know, we, we have a couple of Canadian exposure to some Canadian uh, producers and we've looked at Enbridge. But ultimately, if I'm going to play the energy space, I don't want to be hitch my ride to utility as well. I either want a utility or I want something in the energy space. So 
I think you can find better. There are definitely better Canadian energy companies that uh, are more pure plays uh, and can give you more upside and are going to out- outperform in this economy and in a higher interest rate environment, a higher inflationary environment. So I would pass on Enbridge and move on to one of the pure plays. Now, the season is changing. Colder weather is, is here. Uh, I definitely felt it over the weekend here in Laguna Beach. And that means fall is approaching and, or fall is here, but the, the holidays are approaching. And that means that the year end isn't far from us. And so you need to update your strategies, make sure that you are invested according to your risk tolerance levels, as well as your goals, and based on how the market is reacting right now. Where are the opportunities? Where are the risks? You know that? Are you up to speed? Well, if you aren't and you don't feel like you are, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing and we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800 557 5461. Love to speak, we speak with you for a few minutes and help get your portfolio optimized. Now let's talk a little bit about small caps, small caps. And so far this year, small caps are outperforming. Even in the month of October, the S&P 600, it's the S&P small cap index, is up about 2.5% this month, while the S&P is down 0.1% this month. And a lot of this has to do with the strong dollar being up 17% on average this year. And you say, well, what does the dollar have to do with it? Well, it has to do with the exposure to foreign economies and foreign currencies. About 20% of small cap revenue comes outside the US, which is about half of the 40% of sales of S&P 500 companies that come from abroad. So remember, strong dollar means those foreign currencies are worth less. Foreign revenues worth less. And then on top of that, the US economy is stronger than most around the world. Okay. And then you add on top of that is valuation. I said this before, we are near record lows in valuations of small caps versus large caps based on almost any metric. And so the outperformance, which would be if, if the S and P out or if the S and P 600 outperformed the 500, that'd be the first time since 2016 that that has happened. And I think there's a lot of catch up, catching up to do. The S and P 600 is trading at about 11 times forward looking earnings. And that's below the 15.5 20-year average. Now, I think it should be trading at a bit of a discount to that, but it's trading well below the S&P 500's forward-looking earnings ratio of 15.7. So it's nearly 30% cheaper on an earnings basis than the S&P as a whole. So I wanted to highlight that. And that's something I, when I do the portfolio views with, our listeners, with our clients, 
it's certainly a highlight for those that are willing to take risk. It's usually where they're underinvested, usually way too invested in large and med- mega cap companies and not nearly as invested in the smaller cap names where the better values in the market are today. So be aware of that when you're trying to make shifts to your portfolio, you need to be likely trimming from the large caps and mega caps and moving into the smaller cap names. Now, if I move fast, I think I can squeeze in another color question. So let's play it now. Hey guys, I'm just calling about Kraft Heinz, ticker symbol KHC. Looks like this has had a pretty good pullback, looking to buy it for a long-term dividend play. I'd uh, love to get your thoughts. Thanks for all you do. All right, looking at Kraft Heinz. And this is a very slow, actually negative growth of business. 2018 earned $3.54. This year expected to make $2.66, which is down 9% from last year. Yields 4.5%. I remember they had some accounting issues uh, a few years back, and that worries me a bit. I, I never like companies, usually when there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, now, it's been a little while since there was uh, that issue. So they've uh, cleared a lot of that up, but they do have a good amount of debt, about $20 billion in net debt on their balance sheet on a $43 billion market cap. Uh, now their business is consistent, but it's packaged foods and more people are moving towards, you know, buying fresher uh, foods. And so, and we're looking at revenues down 1% year over year, earnings down 10% year over year. Current enterprise value even about 15 times. No, I'm not paying 15 times for something that's shrinking, has a good amount of debt. I'm passing. This is not an exciting dividend play to me. So I'm going to say no on Kraft Heinz. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Nick from Los Angeles, hang on, you will be next. This is InvestTalk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Nick in Los Angeles looking at ASML. Hi, Justin. Um, I gave you a call about ASML around 4th of July, you know, mid-summertime. <clears throat> It was in the low 400s, and you said, uh, you know, wait a little bit long, wait, wait about, you know, to the mid 300s, upper 300s, because that would represent its, uh, you know, decade low EV to EBITDA multiple. Mm-hmm. I traded around the summer, uh, but I got out um, when I saw a Bloomberg report that the U.S. government's really going to crack down on um, semiconductor equipment and uh, sales and know-how to, to China, and ASML historically done a lot of business in China, but I noticed looking at the most recent quarterly report that they reduced their uh, revenue exposure to China from 34% down to 10%, which 
looking at a pie chart breakdown um, or a quarter over quarter basis. So obviously they saw this coming and are reacting. And analysts are saying that this ban, this most recent ban I'm sure you're aware of, will cost them about $2 billion in sales going forward. But looking at 10% of $4.1 billion in sales in Q2, that's only $400 million. So annualized, that's $1.2 billion lost. And maybe the market's overreacting, and this could be a good entry point because it's obviously a great company. What do you think? I agree. It is, it is a good company. Uh, there, there are a lot of headwinds right now going on in the semiconductor space. You just spoke to one of them, and frankly, it's probably the most important one at the current time. And that's how I'd be, I would continue to be patient until I see some signs of bottom within the sector. Because uh, you don't need to pick the ultimate bottom, because it could be easily 50% lower than here. Right? Earnings in 2019 were about 7 bucks. Earnings in 2021 were over 16 a lot of it had to do with the whole sector trying to rush t for capacity as there was a shortage of, of chips, right? Everyone was over consuming. Now that's reversing. And so while there is some incentive to buy equipment to produce here in the U.S., I see the cycle overpowering that. And then the China issue as well. So, well, the re how I see it is maybe the China demand, the China revenue will be replaced, the lost revenue from China will be replaced by fab uh, manufacturing, being, you know, fabs being built on the chip tax subsidy in the U.S. So domestically, yes, and I think that's, could get a lot of sales. I think that's certainly true over the long term. I think there's going to be a lot of tailwinds in the long term. The problem is, is you're dealing with an acute oversupply within the industry now. The capacity that was built... Think of that. They earned over double their earnings in 2021 versus 2019. Means that the whole chip sector was scrambling to install new capacity. And that is all reversing. Part of that is just reversal of uh, reversion to the mean of normal consumption of uh, electronics versus, you know, what we were doing during the pandemic. And another is a slowing economy. And then on top of this, you have a triple whammy of no investment in China. And the whole chip sector, I think, is going to pause and try to figure out what that next next step is. And because they're over capacity, I don't see them shifting to spending a whole lot in the, in the near term. And so I do recognize the CHIPS Act and... Uh, the fact that we're likely to bring a lot more high-end chip manufacturing back here to the U.S. But that's frankly going to take 5 to 10 years minimum. And if this goes back to earning $7 per share, what happens to their, their business? I mean, just go look at the previous down cycle. Okay, their return assets right now are 18%. You go back to 08, it was negative. Right? Their profits went negative. Their free cash flow, let's see, went, yeah, went negative in 09. Not to say we're going to be in that situation, but think of the downside that still could come. So I'd be extremely patient. I wouldn't be in a rush to, to get in.
Certainly keep it on your watch list, but I wouldn't be in a rush. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Our official Invest Talk download count now exceeds 46.2 million, thanks to you. Get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.